0: The NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
1: Hello, Stephen Schubert back on your radio with the Country Hour from our Alice Springs studio all this week. Coming up on today's show, plenty of rain around some parts of Central Australia. Right now, the Stuart Highway is closed in South Australia. We'll be bringing you a live chat uh, very soon on the Country Hour about that. We'll also speak to the roadhouse at Dambo to find out what it's looking like on the ground there. Also coming up on today's show, plenty of farmers are turning to organic methods of production and the market for certified produce is growing. But how do you manage wild dogs in an organic way if you can't use a poison like 1080
2: big chunks of country that were going into certified organic uh, production, and as a consequence they were dropping out of their wild dog coordinated programs, and that was really alienating a lot of, uh, you know, as you had mentioned, pastoralists and landholders in, in rural communities.
1: We'll find out about that this half hour, and we'll also hear about a dog that is very much not wild, who's being trained to sniff out weeds.
3: And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, actually. <laughs> I thought that's, uh, that uh, makes looking for weeds just that little bit more fun. So it was a good opportunity to combine a passion for dogs and environmental work in the field.
1: If only they could also train the dog to pull the weeds out. They'd make a fortune in my garden alone. All of that plus plenty more coming up on the Country Hour. Let's start the country hour today by talking about rain in central Australia. That is the sound of rain at a Lamby station. The rain has been a little bit scattered across the region, but there were some decent falls. 40 mils was recorded at Mount Skinner, 79 millimeters at Murray Downs and 52 at Territory Grape Farm. But at Javoice Station, on the Plenty Highway, northeast of Alice Springs, the property copped a whopping 153 millimeters in just five hours. Yes, one, five, three millimeters in five hours. Needless to say, the creek out the front of the station has flooded and several buildings at the homestead have had water run through them. Kaya Gill told Hugo Rickard-Bell about this storm.
4: We got an alert from south at about 2 o'clock in the morning to say that we'd received 150-odd Um It was interesting. I was fast asleep and Steve came in and knocked on the door and said, hey, we've got to get up, the place is going to be a mess. I had no idea what he was talking about and I told him to hire a helicopter and worry about it tomorrow. And he was like, no, 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 we need to get up. The houses are going to be flooded. The chickens are going to be drowning. (laughs) And so up we got at 3am with gumboots and um, rain gear and went looking and sure enough the the chickens had more than knee-deep in water in the chook pen and fending for themselves. (laughs) So there we were in the torrential rain um, trying to save chickens.
5: Did you save the chickens?
4: <laughs> the chickens are all saved. Uh, you may remember from previous country, I have got a little boy Henley, and he wants to be a chicken farmer when he's older, and so we've got a flock of 40-odd 40, 40 girls and a few roosters, and the chickens were quickly thrown out of harm's way um, and onto higher ground.
5: Tell me, what, what does it look like um, at the moment out at Jervoy Station?
4: So... A homestead, I guess, when we do receive a lot of rain, becomes a bit of a moat, uh, and we get get quite surrounded. Where most of the houses and accommodation are is high points, but sort of areas like the chicken pen go underwater fairly really quickly. The Marshall River uh, was falling within a couple of hours, and we've never seen it flow so quickly. And it got up to about 1.6 at its peak here at the homestead, and I guess we we've got a lot of erosion and a lot of washout just around sort of our homestead tracks, and had water through a couple of houses and have some wet carpet to deal with. But besides from that, we're um we haven't gone out to see what sort of mess it's made across the place yet. It's just too wet.
5: Can you um, give me an idea? When was the last time uh, you saw rain like this? Yes.
4: Uh, it's been a, it's been a few years. We have. In my three years at Jervoice we haven't seen one hundred and fifty three meals in one rainstorm. Um, we were just fortunate to be to be under under a moving storm at the time. Normally, you sort of get that over a, a couple of showers and a couple a few periods. Um, so no I've never seen the rain like like that here. it's um, you can see where the water line is across the house and then across the property and it's incredible it's amazing.
5: When did you hear it coming in? What time?
4: Ten we went to bed at about ten and you could just hear the, the droplets on the roof at about ten thirty start and like all farmers, you, you read the bomb um like a bible and just look forward to the the hope of having rain and it sort of predicted thirteen to sixteen meals and when we heard we'd waited all day for it because there'd been rain clouds and um, lightning and thunder all day, and it just didn't seem like it was gonna get us. And then about ten thirty, droplets on the roof, and within about an hour, it started to really bucket down. And like I said, we we sort of checked the bomb, but we didn't have Wi-Fi. At the, Wi-Fi and all those things had gone. Um, went to bed and woke up a couple of hours later to so be alerted that mm, we better get out and check some things. <laughs>
5: What, what was that like when you realised, oh, OK, this isn't just a um, summer shower, this is quite the event?
4: A little bit shocked. but also completely stoked. I mean, everyone wants rain, everyone needs rain. We were just fortunate to get a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't widespread on the property. Steve went for a drive um, to our eastern boundary yesterday to, to fix some floodgates. I mean, fixing floodgates is always a great job because you know they've had water. And sort of to, to our um, east, I think rain sort of got to about 21 mils in areas and some areas that just hadn't received any. And to our uh, west, heading back to sort of Alice Springs, Hakata got 50-odd mils and I think Indiana got about seven. So it just seemed to be a bit of a dump right upon the homestead and, and down the rivers, but other areas didn't receive much at all.
5: It sounds like it'll be uh, quite the week of, of maintenance jobs uh, for you, Kaya. What does um, a rain light event like this mean for a station like Jeff Voice?
4: Oh, look, it's um, around the homestead we've got a fair bit of backfilling and um, gravel moving to do, a couple of houses to clean up with wet carpets. Um, you know you 'd rather deal with wet carpets than having to worry about skinny cows we 're certainly not out of the woods yet we would like to see some more rain in different areas of the property. I guess we're just we 're just sort of hanging tight and doing some repairs and maintenance in the shed and letting the roads dry out and hoping to get out in the next couple of days and and see the the west side of the property and check some more boundaries and floodgates and and hopefully we 're lucky to get a little bit more rain in between.
1: Kaya Gill from Javoy Station speaking there to Hugo Ricard-Bell. Unsurprisingly, there are a few road closures in central Australia due to all that rain. The Tanami Road's closed between the Stuart Highway and the WA border. The Plenty Highways closed between the end of Seal to the Queensland border. And the Sandovers closed between El Kedra Road intersection to the Queensland border. But the biggest road closure of all is the Stuart Highway, which is currently closed in South Australia between Coober Pedy and Port Augusta after the road was cut by floodwaters heavy rainfall has also cut the rail line near Tarkula. so there's no freight getting into territory from into the territory from South Australia at the moment Louise Bellato is with the NT Road Transport Association Louise what can you tell us about the state of the Stuart Highway at the moment
6: Yes you're right it's closed uh, Steve So uh, we did see a few trucks sneak into the Territory last night before the road uh, fully closed. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how long it will take for the roads to be reopened, given how much um, uh, flooding there has been. And I think it probably might mean that the rail network is down for longer as well till, um, you know, things really dry out.
1: Right, so have you heard any indication about how long we should expect the road to be closed?
6: No, we haven't yet because uh, they are still waiting for uh, crews to get out and do full assessments uh, in South Australia. But uh, we've already seen some shortages on our um, top end shelves due to the problems in the distribution centres interstate and uh, we've been very pleased with our our trucking operators managing to continue to see, um, you know, food products into the top end uh, because of the COVID factors. But this on top of it, we get, um, you know, one of our trucking companies, uh, Gilbert's and uh, ABC combined, they have about 70 odd uh, road trains a week coming into the territory from uh, South Australia. And uh, obviously they also have some, uh, containers on the rail, and uh, they move our mail as well as as perishables and other um, produce from, uh, you know, the port of Melbourne as well as uh, South Australia. So, you know, just that's just one operator that, whilst the road is closed, won't be able to be moving trucks into the territory. Have
1: you heard how many trucks might be caught up uh, waiting at either Cooper Pedi or Port Augusta to, for these floodwaters to subside?
6: Not yet, because um, those operators who heard, um, you know, not really late but latish last night, uh, after the ones that got through, held back their um, their trucks in Adelaide, so they're not stuck on the road at this stage. But um, it, it's a long shortcut if you're having to go by you know, um, the East Coast and um, the the Barclay. So I think that they will be just holding back until there is further notice as to what uh, work will be required to reopen the road. Um, obviously, whilst it's still um, very, very wet, that's going to slow things down as well.
1: So we have seen bare supermarket shelves with some products across the territory due to the issues with the supply chain due to covid what is this going to mean for freight supplies to the NT?
6: Well, definitely we'll see um, some real shortages. It's not it's not an unfamiliar event for us in the territory, especially in the top end. Uh, that you know, wet season um, floodwaters do um, close roads from time to time. Uh, the Stuart Highway going down in South Australia is um, yeah a little bit more uh, unusual. I mean, we've we've had a couple of events last year. That uh, closed the Stuart Highway, but because it is the national highway um, network, it's it's imperative. It it is given priority, and uh, sometimes for South Australia, uh, the South Australian government, because it's north of Port Augusta, it's seen to be less impactful on their um, population in Adelaide. So we're certainly encouraging them to uh, to prioritise it. I know they have done that for the. Uh, Roxby Downs and, and Olympic Dam uh, Roads. Obviously having people there cut off is impactful for their um, the economy as well as those people that are um, out there. But the Northern Territory certainly relies on the Stuart Highway for our north-south um, road transport movements.
1: Absolutely. And, and also quite unusual I imagine having the train line cut at the same time really limiting our freight options.
6: That's right Steve um, a lot of the time when the rail goes down uh, the road transport operators pick up the slack and uh, do the heavy lifting and that's happened you know on many occasions but yeah right at this moment the um, yeah the, the options are completely limited we, we don't have that and the Difficulty is also that, uh, that the rail going into Western Australia is cut, so that will be problematic because they also have a lot of uh, rail freight from the east coast um, going across from just north of uh, Port Augusta across the, um, the Nullarbor.
1: Okay, well, no clear indication about when that road or the rail line might open up again, but I'm sure you will bring us the latest
6: when you have it. We will, we will, and we urge everyone to be a little bit cautious about what they're buying.
1: Yes, yes, thank you. Louise, thanks for your time on the Country Hour.
6: Thank you, Steve.
1: That is Louise Bellato, who's with the NT Road Transport Association. Emma Haskin from ABC Alice Springs has just spoken to Richard Patridge who manages the BP Roadhouse at Glendambo about 250 k's south of Cooper
7: Well, this is one big event that no-one's ever seen in their lifetime up here. Um, yeah, we've had a huge rain event over the last uh, 24 hours. Started at uh, 7 o'clock last night. We had a big, massive downpour and in 10 minutes we had received... Uh, 29 mil of rain. So, uh, yeah, that was the start of it. Then during the night, around about half past two, Mother Nature let us know she was on having another go, and we had a torrential downpour for approximately three hours of non-stop rain and lightning.
0: So how much rain have you had in 24 hours?
7: Uh, when I checked the rain gauge this morning, um, I took out 120 mils, plus the uh, 29 we had from 7 o'clock the same, well, that night, so 149 mils of rain in
0: 11 hours. And what does the landscape look like at the moment?
7: Well, if you can imagine looking at, uh, yeah, it's just water everywhere, so as you can see, the vast dryness is now an inland lake.
1: Richard Patridge from the Glendambo BP Roadhouse speaking there to Emma Haskin that is an amazing amount of rain I was just driving, we stayed at Glendambo on our way back from summer holidays in early January, it was looking very dry, it's hard to imagine it at the moment 14 minutes to 1 on the Country Hour we'll bring you the latest COVID news after this Luke, Brian, rain is a good thing on the Country Hour. You're tuned to ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Rain might be a good thing for some people, but just repeating that the Stuart Highway is currently closed in South Australia between Port Augusta and Coober Pedy. The railway line is cut as well, so that will cause some freight difficulties into the Northern Territory. It is 10 minutes to 1 o'clock. Let's get the latest on the COVID situation where 286 new cases were recorded in the Territory in the last 24 hours to 8 o'clock last night. 78 people are in hospital, 8 of those are receiving oxygen and 4 are in intensive care. Health Minister Natasha Files gave this update a short time ago.
0: The total active cases in the Northern Territory is stable at about 3,900 cases in the Territory. We've now had a couple of days of lower numbers in the Northern Territory in that two to three hundred range and that's seeing our rolling seven day average coming down to under 400. We do acknowledge that um, usually earlier in the week uh, we do see a bit of a lag in testing uh, because of the weekend. Uh, We also are seeing um, bumpy results in our testing because of um, the isolated conditions we live in in the Northern Territory, the remoteness, so we are using those rapid tests uh, but in some clinical decisions are being made to use PCR tests, uh, for particularly for people that are already in isolation. Uh, so those numbers will come through uh, in, in batches. So just to um, provide a bit of information, but we've certainly flattened the curve uh, and uh, we need to keep doing so, so that we can manage COVID in the Northern Territory.
1: Health Minister Natasha Files. If, and if you want to hear more from that press conference, you can watch it all back on the ABC Darwin and ABC Alice Springs Facebook pages.
8: Today, it's Mick Jacoby here from NT Hayseed and Grain. I'm just getting gearing up to grow some hemp in the Douglas Daily and you're listening to The Country Hour.
1: Nine minutes to one on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. You're with me, Stephen Schubert, bringing you the Country Hour from our Alice Springs studios all this week. The federal government has announced it's investing $68 million in agricultural traceability. Agriculture Minister David Littleproud spoke a short time ago.
8: Today, the federal government is taking the last stages and last steps in harmonising our traceability systems for agriculture. And potentially that, what that will add is $225 million plus back into the agricultural sector. We're finally getting the states to come together and to get some harmonisation across borders. We're also investing in a digital hub to be able to store the data to make sure that that data can be protected but used effectively. Effectively in making sure that our customers can trace the product from the paddock right through to their plate, no matter whether they're here in Australia or they're somewhere around the world where we export. But we're also, also in investing in the new technologies Investing with farmers but also universities to be able to come up with the technology that will go deeper into making sure there is currency in the traceability measures that we're undertaking and CQ University where we're here today in fact has come up with one of those measures which was part of one of our previous grant rounds around putting an ear tag uh, into our cattle and be able to detect their health of that cow in the paddock and being able to understand where they're grazing and where they're moving through that paddock. The smarts of of the best minds in the world right here in Australia going through those traceability factors or whether it's going further through blockchain uh, in the sugar industry or the horticulture sector. And so what this will do is add value back but also when we are able to bring that data into one point we can then share and this will remove a lot of the regulatory burden uh, that is there in terms of audit costs and so those savings uh, of $225 to $325 million a year means it goes back into farmers' pockets and when it goes back into farmers' pockets they spend it back in their businesses and when they spend it they're buying out of regional communities. So this is a real game changer in just simply getting out of farmers' lives with the use of technology backing them in coming up with the ideas and backing universities to help them bring that to fruition. But it also has significant benefits for our biosecurity in being able to manage biosecurity risks and to be able to tackle them immediately and eradicate a threat as soon as it's identified. And using that technology can potentially save us somewhere around 17 billion dollars from an outbreak from a disease because we have that technology that is real time that is at the paddock and that's the exciting thing that we're achieving here is we're getting production gains and we're protecting our industry through technology and smarts and making sure that, that investment while um, a significant one the return on investment is greater because it's going back to our farmers
1: Federal Agriculture Minister David Littleproud there. So in a nutshell, this new money will go towards a National Traceability Summit and establishment of a National Agriculture Traceability Alliance, a virtual hub to keep industry up to date with consumer trends, develop national data standards and take advantage of new tech, and grants to promote uptake and development of new technology and systems to reduce regulatory and traceability costs.
0: Green rookie to champion in just one year. Join us in 2022 for the ultimate working dog
6: challenge. Five pedigree puppies are matched with five passionate trainers across Australia. I do
4: it because I love it.
6: In a 12-month experiment to find out which of these bundles of mischief will become the champion muster dog.
0: I think
5: she's advanced for her age.
6: Muster Dogs, Sunday nights on ABC TV
9: and streaming on ABC iView.
1: You are listening to the Country Hour. It's five minutes to one o'clock. New guidelines for how organic certified stations can use wild dog baits have been released. Cattle producers will now be able to fence off specific areas on their property where they'll be able to use 1080 bait and still maintain their organic status. National Wild Dog Management Coordinator Greg Mifsud explains.
2: Yeah, so the organic guidelines were developed uh, two years ago now. Um, and that came about due to, I guess, an increase in people certifying with organic properties. And what that did was it, it resulted in them not being able to use certain control techniques, in particular 1080, and that was letting down our coordinator programs. So we were starting to find, particularly in the rangeland areas, you know, big chunks of country that were going into cert- certified organic uh, production. And as a consequence, they were dropping out of their their wild dog coordinated programs and that was really alienating um, a lot of uh, you know as you mentioned pastoralists and landholders in, in rural communities so in order to try and manage that I worked closely with a number of the organic certifying companies to look at how we could develop some sort of um, protocols or guidelines that would fit within their certification process but also not risk someone's um, organic status and so the guidelines that were developed were done so in agreement with um, a number of the organic certifiers and and that's the reason why we had that uh, webinar with the producers around Alice Springs because of the predominance of uh, organic certification in those landscapes. Um, They needed some way to be able to better manage their dogs.
5: And what were some of these uh, guideline changes that you put in place?
2: Yeah, so, so primarily in order to undertake any dog control using 1080 or any feral animal control using 1080 or um, PAP, our new products, they have to exclude an area of land uh, from the livestock of which they're selling as organically certified. So we came together with the organic groups and had a chat to them and what we've come up with is basically a planning approach where landholders can actually fence off areas Um and use the inside of those locations as their areas where they do their dog control. Um, and look in, in, most of the regions in the rangelands and, and particularly in the red center, you know, people have their watering points, you know, troughs and, and stuff. And then they've got additional water tanks or uh, turkeys nests or whatever that are usually fenced off anyway. And are generally the areas where you would target with your control for feral animals in those landscapes anyway. So the, the, The guidelines allow people to use baits or preferably the canid pest ejectors, which is the device that's nailed into the ground, Um, so it's very difficult to be moved and the 1080 can't move off-site. And similarly, if they are using baits, then the expectation is that the baits will be tied or tethered using a piece of wire or some other means so that um, the pest animal has to physically chew that that bait off the wire and ingest it inside the the exclusion the excluded area rather than than take it outside onto the, the rest of the property.
1: That's Greg Mifsud, who's the National Wild Dog Management Coordinator.
10: Andrew Ogleish, Fox fruit just out of Catherine. Uh, when I get a spare moment on the tractor, I like listening to uh, Matt and the team on uh, the Country Hour.
1: Well, Matt Brand's still on holidays, the lucky fellow. My name's Stephen Schubert, filling in with in for Matt Brand for this week from our Alice Springs studio. As we heard earlier in the program, not only is the Stuart Highway closed in South Australia, the railway line from Darwin to Takula is also shut. A spokeswoman for One Rail, owners of the rail line, said the company anticipated the track would reopen on Wednesday. They say one rail can confirm that the network between Port Augusta and Tarkula is currently closed, with the current weather event causing flooding along sections of the line. This has temporarily affected the services departing Adelaide to Darwin. One rail is working closely with our customers on the resumption of services once the line is reopened. And Len's texted in saying perhaps the Navy can help. Maybe not so much use to us here in Alice Springs, Len. Almost time for the one o'clock news. We'll get the latest from the Weather Bureau, straight after. Hi,
11: oh, hello, I'm Debbie. Hello, I'm Benji. Hello, I'm Katie. You're oh, I'm listening to, to the Country Hour.
1: G'day, g'day, you sure are. My name's Stephen Schubert, bringing you the Country Hour from our Alice Springs studio. While it's still pretty humid in the top end, we will chat to the uh, Weather Bureau in a tick. Still to come on the Country Hour, Aboriginal people around Catherine have been using fire to manage their land for tens of thousands of years, but now there could be a few dollars in it for some of them.
12: The other key outcomes, of course, is employment. We've got up to eight rangers who have been employed casually... And this will enable more regular work for them.
1: And we'll bring you an incredible story about people who are training dogs to sniff out weeds.
9: I think the biggest reason I would use a dog for any conservation work that they have no bias. Nil. The only bias they have is the odour they're trained to find.
1: That and plenty more coming up on the Country Hour. But right now, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Rebecca Patrick is there for us today. Hello.
11: Good afternoon Steve. Good afternoon. Now
1: I have to start with an airing of grievances Rebecca because we were promised good rain in Alice Springs over the weekend and not that much fell. Can we expect any more or, and what has fallen around Central Australia?
11: Yeah I think it all just fell a little bit to the east of Alice Springs unfortunately mm. for you guys um, but yeah had some really big totals at voice had the three-day total to 9 a.m. this morning was 170 millimeters. Wow. With most of that falling on Friday night. Um, yeah, I had 153 on Friday night, which is a annual um, record for, for your Voice. Really? New yeah, record? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, new record. Um, well, I guess I don't need to tell you that it's pretty <laughs> rare to get that sort of <laughs> rainfall in the desert.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, where else Where else did it fall?
11: Uh, we've also seen um, some rainfall through the Barkley. Um, there's been fairly persistent storms through that area as well, but again, we don't have a lot of rain gauges through the Barkley. So in terms of the numbers, um, don't have that to hand. Uh, across the top end, uh, over three days, um, Catherine at Bray Road received 126 millimetres and water as well Um, particularly the last 24 hours has seen a fair bit of rainfall so yeah they've had 119 over three days but um, 103 of those were in the last 24 hours.
1: On the weather charts it looks like the monsoon trough is on the move what's that going to do?
11: Yeah, that's uh, moved south of the top end now. So all of the top end is in a monsoonal pattern. So we're seeing a lot of showers moving across the top end and uh, with a few storms in there as well. So, um, yeah, expecting that monsoon pattern to continue across the north of the Territory pretty much all week. So it might wax and wane a little bit in terms of its intensity. But, um, yeah, keeping those showers continuing this week in the north.
1: And what about for the centre?
11: Yeah, that's um, it's also an area that we're keeping a close eye on this week. Um, there is potential for um, more heavy falls from, from thunderstorms through the centre, just getting that tropical rainfall pushing through those central districts. Um, keeping a close eye on the Barkley at the moment, there's some storms popping up just near Tennant Creek, as we speak um, and yeah further east as well um, some storms developing at the moment um, and really uh, right through the week um, that area the Tanamai, Tanami um, and into parts of the Simpson district as well has um, got potential for, for more heavy falls from thunderstorms.
1: I've just had a text from Rod in Alice Springs, Rebecca Patrick. He said he had 42.5 meals on Friday evening in the southwest corner of the Alice Springs municipality. So that's good for him and uh, no doubt probably didn't get what he wanted for the rest of the weekend in Alice Springs.
11: Yeah, I think the trough moved a little bit further to the to the north um, later in the weekend, so most of that activity was a bit further away.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll try my hardest to forgive the weather bureau for forecasting rain for Alice Springs that didn't show up. But um, look, thank you very much for the update.
11: No worries. Thanks, Steve.
1: <laughs> that is Rebecca Patrick at the weather bureau there, and Dave in Parmo has just sent me a screenshot of it looks like a very fancy rain gauge on an app on an app is that what it is dave do you have do you connect your rain gauge to your mobile phone anyway it's showing me that dave has had 57.66 mils in palmerston falling at a rate of 1.27 millimeters an hour i love that sort of data i'm an absolute weather data nerd so thanks for sharing that dave My name's Brett Gill, Um, my wife Suzanne and I farm and have cattle on Mullalungui in the Douglas Daly area, the top end. You're listening to The Country Hour. My name is Stephen Schubert, bringing you The Country Hour this week from our Alice Springs studios. Let's head to the Catherine region, the Waterman Ranges are one of the largest groups to register a savannah burning project with the Clean Energy Regulator. The NLC Ranger Group has been burning on their country southwest of Catherine for many years, but has now signed up to earn carbon credits by reducing emissions from hot and damaging wildfires in the late dry season. IPA coordinator Andrew Drennan told Max Rowley it's great to see their hard work pay off.
12: It's a great outcome, Max. Um... The rangers have been working towards this for five or ten years, uh, the rangers and the traditional owners, and to get it registered is a big outcome. It'll bring in more funding for the program and just enable us
10: to do more on-ground work. The rangers have been doing fire management on country for a number of years. Uh, how will this change what you do? Yeah, like you say, we've fire management has been part of the program from the beginning. Fire management
12: has always use of fire by traditional owners has, has been going on for thousands of years of course. Uh, we still engage the traditional owners and, and capture their knowledge into the program. Um, look, being a registered project we'll, it will generate more income because you can claim your carbon credits um, by reducing the fire so you don't actually get paid to do the burning but you get paid to reduce the amount of burning So it's a good way to to sort of bring the fire operations, do your burning a bit earlier in the season. And the overall objective is to have less area burnt and especially to reduce the late season fires, which is generally what's going to produce more carbon and doing more environmental damage. Uh, Another side of the coin is that to be out on country and burning is we're looking after our cultural sites at the same time. So there's several co-benefits. It, it's not just all about burning. Uh, it's about looking after country, protecting country and using fire as a, a key management tool for several outcomes. Uh, the other key outcomes, of course, is employment. We, we've got up to eight rangers who have been employed casually and this will enable more regular work for them and um, better capacity building for the entire community that the rangers will get a lot of training and um other traditional owners will get the opportunity to come out bush join in the program and uh, just give us their guidance
10: along the way what does it take to register as a savannah burning carbon project that's a good question um
12: so we've joined in a program under the indigenous land and Sea corporation Uh, they've provided the seeding funding for this and, and and they've actually been the ones that have registered this project. But what it takes for us, it, it's been a year or two of consultations, quite intense consultations, that the project registry has to get a Section 19 agreement to get the consent of the traditional owners. Um, that was a fair bit of work, but pretty straightforward. The traditional owners were familiar with the project and, like we mentioned just before, that they've been involved in the, the burning and other activities, over the years so, but the real key is to you, you register your project you, you look at your fire history over the last 10 to 15 years and where the fires have been and if there's particular times of year when the fires have been big in particular locations and the whole idea is to reduce those fire sizes um, and you, you gain your, your carbon credits based that way so we registered it late last year because last year was a good year of burning outcomes from our perspective we did burning in april and may last year and kept the fires small put in strategic fire breaks and uh, that's your protection against late season fires so there are a few fires from lightning strikes later in the year and they tend to just peter out when they get to that area already burnt so i guess we kept an eye on that and there was a good year of smaller burning so we registered it there um, it's registered with a government body called the Clean Energy Regulator and they you get the project audited after a year or two
10: and that's when they calculate your carbon credits and every couple of years. There's been a growing interest in, in carbon credits and the carbon market and an increase in prices for carbon as well. Was that a bit of stimulus to to put that application in? That's a good point. In this case
12: no. We that was pretty much hot off the press that the carbon prices has has been going up substantially that that's what everyone was predicting Uh, we were going ahead with this project regardless at the pre-existing carbon price of about 17 18 dollars a tonne still made the project quite viable and worthwhile Um, but the reports are that the carbon price is probably about twice that so we'll take that of course that that'll make the project more viable
10: but it, it, it wasn't a, a key driver in this instance. So now you're registered, when will you start to see the benefits from this project? OK, that's a good question. So starting with... Well, even, yeah, starting with round about the
12: registration time, the, the project at this stage is funded through the ILSC for, for several years through um, funding coming from INPEX. So at this stage, the carbon credits go back to INPEX but we still get our establishment funding to get the project off the ground. It's when the project proves itself and is ready to go independent, let's say in approximately three years, that those carbon credits will, will retain
10: those and, and be able to trade those on the market ourselves. How much do you expect to earn this coming season, for instance, as an example, from the carbon project? That's a good question. As you mentioned before, it is based on the carbon
12: price, and it's notoriously difficult to come up with ballpark figures until you do that official audit. But based on last year's fires that, that, that you can get on, off a map, um, I'd say eighty to $100,000 worth of carbon credits last year, or put it another way, around 5,000 carbon credits themselves. And if you get $20 per credit, for example, yeah, about 100 grand. If the price does go up to $40, 50 then there's potentially more more um, funding to be raised from those carbon credits. But, yeah, that's every year is different, though, you know. We, we do the burning as best we can, of course, hope for no lightning. But we've had several good years in a row now, and with previous years where we've done fire management... I reckon that would be about the average 5,000 carbon credits and multiply that by the the current carbon price per credit.
1: Andrew Drennan is the Waterman IPA coordinator with the Northern Land Council and they'll be supporting the North Australia Savannah Fire Forum on the 15th of February and the First National Indigenous Carbon Forum on the 16th. This is the country hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. It's 19 minutes past one. This is Shane Howard. When your walls came down. Not much.
0: We come from all walks of life. Standing out
2: and standing up.
0: For victims and survivors.
6: For generosity
2: and strength. For leadership. During hardship.
6: For the
8: individual.
2: And for the nation.
8: Join Susie Youssef and myself, Hamish MacDonald, to reflect, respect and celebrate those who've risen above at the Australian of the Year Awards this Tuesday night on ABC Radio, ABC TV
1: and streaming on ABC iView. It's 23 minutes past one on the Country Hour. The war against weeds now has a new hero, Fonzie. A German shepherd can sniff out some of Australia's most problematic plants. He's been so successful, there are plans to get more conservation canines out into the field.
13: This is Fonzie, aka the Fonz. He's a sniffer dog, but he doesn't work with the police. Fons has been trained to find invasive weeds. His handler is Enviro Consultant Melanie Kelly.
3: I've always been very passionate about dogs and worked in the weed space for a long time and I actually saw a demonstration at a weed conference in Hobart where Steve Austin, the trainer who we've worked with, He did a demonstration of orange hawkweed detection dogs that they had just started using in New South Wales. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, actually. (laughs) I thought uh, that uh, makes looking for weeds just that little bit more fun. So it was a good opportunity to combine a passion for dogs and environmental work in the field. Good boy. Fonzie. Fine. So Fons is a fantastic. Uh, he's a working line German Shepherd. He comes from really high quality bloodlines. His dad's actually a, a police dog in Victoria, a very top quality working dog, and he was selected specifically for the purpose of being a, a weed detection dog. And yeah, it's been really interesting, really challenging. Working line dogs are not for everyone. Um, big, big, bulky German Shepherds are something that I've had to learn a lot about
9: ready to roll. okay
13: steve austin is an internationally recognized dog trainer he says fonz is something of a miracle
9: quite an interesting dog i said to his owner mel kelly when she said i've got a german shepherd the train for conservation i said well i don't think it's the right breed of dog but i was proven 100 percent wrong Fons has turned out to be a very good detector dog in the conservation field. There's always a one in a million, and I think he's probably there.
13: Steve Austin says pedigrees aside, dogs make fantastic plant detectors.
9: We can always go to the great sense of smell and all that, and and that's a bit diase these days. But you know what, David? I think the biggest reason I would use a dog for any conservation work, that they have no bias, nil. The only bias they have is the odour they're trained to find. Where we, as people go, well, there cannot possibly be a weed over there. And so many times a dog has taken me over there. And guess what? There's been a weed there. And did a, a job once looking for hawkweed. We had you know, 20 odd people doing an emu line. They searched for weed for about two or three hours, found five plants. Reran ran Sally. That's one of Steve's dogs. little cocker over that area and she found like 40 plants in about 10 minutes. Today,
13: Fons is also looking for orange hawkweed. While there's not much of it around in Tasmania, Raylene Mibus, the Weeds Action Fund Coordinator with NRM North, believes, left unchecked, it could become a serious problem.
3: It's a daisy in the daisy family, so they're very well known for, as are the thistles, the same family, they spread very easily. Uh, This particular species has a couple of means of dispersal and one is underground stems that grow and, and can come up, even though you've removed one plant it can come up in another area. So that together with its wind dispersal of the little fluffy seed heads, when it does flower that can go anywhere and everywhere and just makes it really difficult to control. Whether we're aware of it or not, I think we live in this planet, we rely on the ecosystem services that it provides. And I think it's really important that we maintain that and look after it as custodians and keep it healthy. And we have a very unique flora in Tasmania, so something like orange hawkweed impacts on that.
13: And Fons isn't limited to daisies. He was first trained to identify serrated tussock, a highly invasive grass that impacts food production.
3: Scientists, researchers, land managers are realising the potential of dogs to to value add their work. And also it gives that extra bit of interest in the kind of work that you're doing. A, a weed like orange hawkweed or serrated tussock aren't really that exciting for a lot of people but you add a dimension of a dog and it, and it gets people's interest so it's growing.
13: And Steve Austin believes we can do much more with our canine companions.
9: So even with Fonzie we're going to add more weeds and I think we could probably add five, six, seven weeds to them and also if we really wanted to and and we're talented enough with our training, we could even add endangered plants to the dogs as well. I think we're using today 15% of their capabilities. We haven't even scratched the surface yet of what we can do. If I've got a good dog and I've got a good handler, I reckon the world's our wisdom. Dog
1: trainer Steve Austin ending that report from David Barnock-Clement. That is phenomenal I think one of those weed dogs' heads might uh, explode from overstimulation in my backyard at the moment. That is just about all we have time for on the Country Hour today. If you missed our chat with Louise Bellardo from the NT Road Transport Association, that'll be up on our podcast soon. You can catch up on that and all of the Country Hours that you can uh, fathom, basically, on where you normally get your podcasts The Stuart Highway between Coober Pedy and Port Augusta is closed. Some other local road closures as well. The Tanamai Road in Central Australia, the Plenty and the Sandover Highways all closed. So stay safe this afternoon. My name's Stephen Schubert. I'll be back with more Country Hour from our Alice Springs studios for you tomorrow. Speak to you then.